Hola, hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Sazón y Corazón. This is your host, Ayana Kelly. I'm back again, which feels like it's been years since I've been doing this podcast, but it's literally only been months. Uh, but we are back at it. And today I've got a very special guest uh, who shares heritage and passions uh, that I do. And so I obviously needed to have her on the podcast. Taina, can you introduce yourself for the people, please? Yeah. So my name is Taina Brown. Um, I'm Afro-Latina. Um, I am a life and career coach for super ambitious millennials. And I also do some DEI work on the side and some consulting with that. And i um, super excited to be here um, and speaking with you and your audience since we both share the, uh, the Afro-Latina heritage of the Caribbean. Yes. Go Caribbean. (laughs) (laughs) Had to make that shout out. Um, Diana, you know that this is primarily a mental health podcast, and I ask every guest this question. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into your own mental health journey? Yeah. So, gosh, where to even begin? (laughs) We got time. (laughs) (laughs) My mental health journey, I think... um, it, it's, it really started during childhood um, as an adult is when I decided or realized that I was on a mental health journey, right? And so, you know, there are things that happen in, in all of our childhoods and all of our upbringings that sometimes can create trauma. And it actually wasn't until I was in my early 30s and I had gone back to college to finish my bachelor's. So, Never too late to start over. Um, hey. Just a little reflect there, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I had gone back to college and um, was struggling just emotionally, mentally because of full time coursework, full time regular work, like just doing a lot, um, and so it was really just kind of like affecting my anxiety and depression. And then I took a course um, that like a history course that was like history and media. And we had to watch Schindler's list and I couldn't even make it through the entire movie. Like um, I just got triggered so badly that I just like didn't go to class for like a week. Um, I was just like holed up in my, uh, my bedroom and I was sharing the experience with a friend um, who was ex-military and had PTSD. And she was like, that kind of sounds like PTSD. Um, you should maybe look at the counseling office and see, see, you know, if you could talk to someone, um, and, you know, see what that's about. Um, and so at that point I was like, you know what, I haven't been to therapy before, um, have never really talked to anyone. Um, but I knew that like I had mental health things that I needed to take care of. And so that was kind of like the wake up call for me. And so I scheduled an appointment and, um, was able to get in with a therapist almost immediately. That was a really, really good match. Um, and since then, have just been either seeing a therapist consistently or, you know, reading books, like doing my own education on how to be, you know, better about my mental health, et cetera. And so that's that's where I'm, I am today. Wow. You know, a lot of people would have just, like taking that experience and be like, man, this is some bullshit. That movie was awful. Like it's not me. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's the movie. <laughs> right. And then, you know, it's, it's awesome that you had that, you know, friend to be like, 
this this sounds like something maybe you should get it checked out because I don't think we all like ever like truly have that person to be like, Hey, you need some help. Right. Like some mm-hmm. of us are just on this journey on our own and like, yeah. Oh damn. Maybe there's some, some going on here. I should probably get some help. Uh, but that's, that's amazing that you actually had someone to witness it and kind of like bring you to it. Be like, Hey, yeah. Yeah. Like something. Yeah. I know. And it's interesting. Cause like even growing up as a child, as a teenager, um, I was a very angry person. Mm. <laughs> and so I would have, just complete, like almost violent episodes of just anger. Wow. Like I would never hurt, like hurt anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, actually, that's not true because my brother and I used to get into fights all the time. <laughs> but, um, count. <laughs> I, I know, I know, right? <laughs> but um, just kidding, they do. <laughs> <laughs> siblings are people too, right? <laughs> um, but um, but it's it's interesting because even growing up, like obviously there was something that was going on with me, but my family was never like, oh, maybe we should take her to a therapist. It was always Mm. like the way that it was always dealt with was, you know, through restriction, through discipline. um, And it was always a treatment of like the symptoms, but not like the actual issue. And the root cause. um, Right, right. Nobody ever wanted to talk about why I was so angry all the time. And so Mm. it's just, I'm very thankful um, that as an adult, I had I had people like that friend who was like, yeah, this is an issue. You should probably <laughs> do something yeah. about it. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about family, let's let's get into that a little bit. What does it feel like to be the only one in your family to go to therapy on a regular basis? It is. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is an interesting experience for sure. Yeah. Um, I you know, part of my mental health journey has involved me coming to terms with the fact that I cannot control my family. Right. Mm. Um, I didn't choose the family I was born into. I can't control their behaviors. Um, and that I need to also learn to accept where they are at Mm. and release any expectations, right. That they're gonna like, do anything about their own mental health or even respond in a positive way to my mental health journey. And so I love my family dearly. Um, but since being on this mental health journey for the past almost 10 years, um, I have learned that sometimes there needs to be boundaries Mm-hmm. Right. Depending on what's going on in my life, depending on how my stress or anxiety might be um, and what that looks like changes from day to day. Like there could be months where I can talk to different family members every day and be fine. And then mm-hmm. there are times where it's like I just don't have the emotional or mental bandwidth to really connect with family yeah. for long periods of time. And so at that point, I need to like pull back and just be like, I'll text you every now and again, or I'll call you in a few weeks, right? When when I'm better able to have a conversation with you, because I know that those conversations more often than not are going to possibly trigger my stress or anxiety, um, that there there's a part of me that's always going to want to take responsibility for other people that I shouldn't be taking. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the, 
on the flip side to that, you know, it, it's been one of those things where I have tried to just like be sneaky about bringing mental health up with like different <laughs> family members. And so, you know, if, if I am having a conversation and, you know, something comes up, I might be like, oh yeah, I remember my therapist said X, Y, Z, and that really helped me out, you know? And then usually, you know, some people will like change the subject. Sometimes there'll be a little bit of curiosity there. Um, yeah. So I just kind of have to, you know, feel it out and see how they respond to like, when I do bring up mental health things and then from there just kind of be like, okay, they don't want to talk about it. So I'm just going to back off. Or if they are curious or they do have questions, you know, then I'm like, okay, don't get too excited, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like don't overwhelm them with information. Cause I'm, I'm that person. I'll be like, let me send you a million links <laughs> for all the different things that you could read up on. And so it's like, okay, Guilty. let's not overwhelm them. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So, um, so it's, it's been an interesting experience. And so, um, I mean, I'm happy to say that like over the years, there has been like a slow progression of more curiosity as opposed to resistance, um, when it comes to mental health topics with my family, um, no family is perfect. And so, you know, like I said earlier, I'm just continually learning to just accept them for who they are and let it not be my responsibility to, to make sure that they're doing something about their own mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be really hard because we have, like you said, all these expectations of like what we want these Mm -hmm. people in our lives to be Yeah, and like who we need them to be, but they may not always be able to meet that capacity. Like I'm still learning this very much myself when my therapist dropped this gem on me and she was like, we forget. And I was, specifically talking about like my nuclear family, she was like, we often forget that our parents, our grandparents, our siblings, this is their first time living on earth as well. Mm. They're also trying to figure it out. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's like, you mean they don't have it all figured out? Like, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell you mean is this their first time? Like. <laughs> Haven't they been reincarnated at this point? Come on. (laughs) Right, right. But I say that to say, like, you 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 made a really great point of, like, just accepting them for where they are and letting go of the expectations, right? Because they may not even have the capacity to be what we need them to be. Right. Yeah. And that's the hardest part because we're always taught, like, all right, our parents should be X, Y, Z. And this Mm -hmm. is what the textbooks say. And this is what my heart says. And this is my my feelings are tied into this, what this relationship should look like. And it's hard. You almost grieve not receiving that specific relationship dynamic that you're looking for. Yeah, that can, that can suck, especially when it's part of like your core support system is like, how do you transition from, okay, I'm no longer leaning on you, even if it is a toxic attachment style, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm no longer leaning on you for this particular need, but then I don't have it like another support system, you know, and yeah. like, whatever that looks like. That's hard. That's hard. Yeah. When you start depending on yourself and your self work mm-hmm. to be like, I'm, I got me. That shit is hard. Cause I'm still it is. It, <laughs> <laughs> it is. It so is. And um, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that the therapist that I ended up with um, at that time when I was, when I was dealing with that trigger, 
um, did a lot of like internal family systems work with me. And Mm -hmm. so it allowed me to really come in and almost like reparent myself, right. And be the parent for myself that I wish I had had. Right. Um, and so just kind of revisiting past traumas or, you know, past instances where it's like, well, I wish my mom would have said this instead of what actually happened, or I wish my dad would have been around for this situation. And so we did a lot of that work and that has really helped to heal a lot of that trauma, Mm. um, that, um, that I had, um, but it's still a journey. It's still a journey. And so I think what you said about, you know, grieving the, what you didn't have. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, we tend to think about grief as just the loss of something that we do have, but it can also be the loss of something that we wish we had. Yes. And I was actually, I was just talking about this with, um, <clears throat> with a few of my clients and like how we process grief and how we deal with it and how that opens up spaces for, uh, for expansion of just like of joy. Right. And so Mm -hmm. if we avoid the grief, we never get to the joy part. We never get to the part where it's like, okay, now I'm on the other side of this and I can, it still hurts, but who I am on the other side. Like I can celebrate who that person is, who I'm becoming. Right. But if you never get through anything, like what is there to celebrate? And so it's, it's hard. It's one of the (laughs) hardest things to do, right. To just be like, I'm going to just sit in my grief and I'm just going to acknowledge it and just allow myself to feel it. But it's so important. It's so important for our own evolutionary process as, as human beings. Absolutely. I'm going to say it again in case the people didn't hear it. You cannot get to the joy unless you process your grief. Mm. I feel like that's not the first time I've heard this kind of like iteration of this conversation, but it's so, I don't know, it's so profound. And I'm and what comes up for me is like, I also didn't have the tools on processing my grief. Mm. I didn't even know like I had to articulate that I was right. Reading, right. And then like, didn't have the tools to understand, like, how do I move through this wave instead of resist it? Right. Like mm. resisting shit and stonewalling is like my like ultimate survival tactic. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so, like, you take that, yeah. You take that away from me and I'm like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do with this now? <laughs> 100%. It's so yeah. It's so hard. Um, you know, especially, I'm sure you can relate to this is like growing up in a Latino household. It's like you say anything and it's almost like they can't take it for what it is. Right. They take it like Mm -hmm. as an attack on their persona. Right. What do you mean? I work six jobs to provide for you. And I came to this country and I, you know what I mean? Where I'm simply just asking you to call me a little more instead of expecting me to always be the one to communicate. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) how did we go from this to that? Right. Right. I've done the work to realize that there's a lot going on there too, right? Like that's not all just about me. Um, but just having the tools and the skills and the language to be like, this is what this is and this is how I deal with it. Like tremendous journey to even get there, right? Yeah, yeah. But 100%. Speaking, speaking of family conversations, and you touched on this a little bit, how do you, you, you said that you're now like, figuring out whether or not they're interested in the conversation but how did you get from like imposing them with all the links to like taking their lead 
in in you know understanding where they are and how and you know depending on whether they deflect or whatever like how did you get from we need to talk about therapy to I'm going to take your lead on whether or not you're comfortable on talking about this. Yeah. Um, I just had shit blew up in my face too many times, <laughs> to be honest. The truth, queen. Oh, my <laughs> like there were just too many, too many experiences of just like me trying to initiate that conversation. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I do tend to be overzealous um, sometimes, especially when I'm just like, oh, my God, this thing is amazing. Everybody needs it, you know. And so yeah. um, that definitely did not come across the right way with, um, with some of my family members. It's, it's almost like a, Oh, you think you're better than us now because you know, mm-hmm. you went to therapy and now you know this thing that we don't know. Right. And so you're just yeah. like, um, a know-it-all kind of thing. And so, mm-hmm. which is, I always just kind of lean towards know-it-all like mentality <laughs> just because I like learning and I like sharing information. And so sometimes yeah. it comes across really roughly. And so after, after having several instances where it was just like, you know, didn't, didn't go very well, you know, created just extra tension and, um, and just like, not necessarily fights, but just like unpleasant experiences Mm. I was like okay maybe this is part of the process maybe this is part of the process of just accepting where they are and just letting them have responsibility Mm -hmm. over over what what they think they need for their mental health and so it's almost like I I, I don't think I was like intentionally trying to force them to have those conversations, but that's the way that it happened. And it's like, it was still rooted in that sense of me trying to take responsibility for other people. Yeah. And so I had to, after, again, after, you know, just having a few instances where it was unpleasant, it was like, okay, I can no longer be responsible for initiating those conversations. Mm-hmm. And so if, they are interested in learning more about mental health, about how to find a therapist, et cetera, then it's their responsibility to bring that up. They know that I have been seeing a therapist. They know that this is something that is important to me. And so if there's an open opportunity to talk about mental health, I won't shy away from it. Right. Mm-hmm. So like if I'm having a conversation with my brother or a cousin or my mom or an aunt, right, who's like, you know, I've just been so stressed lately, my anxieties, you know, through the roof, right, then I might bring it up, but I don't I don't necessarily like try to lead them anywhere. Right. Mm. I might just say, Hey, you know, maybe you should think about talking to someone. Like I know it's really helped me and then I just leave it at that. And, yeah. you know, if, if they bite, you know, if they're like, you know, I kind of have been thinking about it, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to follow that lead. Right. Cause mm-hmm. now they have opened the door for me to be able to talk about this with them a, a little bit more in depth than you normally would. Yeah. And it sounds like to me, and we must be pretty much because we damn near did like very similar things in these situations. <laughs> but I, I like what it, what, what's coming up for me is like we also had to create our own psychological safety in this scenario Mm. right like Mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily at least for me always safe to have these conversations yeah right like and it goes back to like them taking it as a an attack on themselves it's just like no i'm really just trying to tell you that 
I'm like neck deep in some shit and this is what I'm working out in therapy and this is how like it's coming up. And it's more so of like a, like you said, shit blew up in your face where like people are just like, well, what the fuck do you mean? And, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like I just, I don't know, like I, I've also had to work on that in terms of like, I am not responsible for my family's healing, right? Yeah. Like not just my nuclear family, just like my, my chosen family as well. Like I'm not responsible for anyone else going through and feeling their feelings because shit, I don't have the space for that emotional labor. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and I've already been raised in a sense and parentified to take care of certain things. Like it, it's literally the way I've been wired and have had to work against it, mm-hmm. right? And find mm-hmm. a new like definition of who Ayana is, right? Yeah. Like, you talk to me maybe like five years ago, I would have told you about all the things that I take care of and all the people that I take care of and how I'm related to other people and completely leave out like who I am as a person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's that kind of thing. Like these conversations, they might be like small here and there, but they continue to add up, especially if you approach it on like, Oh my God, I got to share everything with my family because maybe they can heal with me. Right. But you, you can't force someone, you can't force the horse to drink water, right? Like, right. Got to take the initiative. They've got to take, you know, those steps to be self, you know, reflective and be like, mm-hmm. okay, well, you know, if my daughter, prima, whoever is saying that they're learning these things in therapy, then maybe I can benefit from that too. Right. But they've got to be able to say that on their own. We yeah. And not force that. Um, yeah. I just think it's so important because I, I think I was stuck in that cycle for a really long time until I also said, I was like, you know what? Forget this. Y'all gonna learn eventually, but it won't be today because I can't take you there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And nor should, nor should you have to. Right. And so I think yeah. that's, that's the thing. And, you know, obviously a lot of what that comes out of is, uh, one, just like that socialization of just taking care of other people, right? I think mm-hmm. that's something that a lot of Hispanic and Latin families, like the women are always required to respond to other people's needs and let their needs take second place or third place or fourth place, right? And so that, I think it's part mm-hmm. of that. And so, but it's also just, I think, in our nature to care about our family, right? And so you have these two things that are kind of, you know, conflating with one another. And it's like, okay, where's the, where's the boundary here? Mm -hmm. Because it's one thing to like really care and want the best for your family, but it's a completely different thing to like take on the responsibility of caring for your family um, in a way that's unhealthy. So um, so yeah, those, that boundary definitely gets like blurred in, mm-hmm. in the cultures that we grew up in. Yeah. Yeah. And we're still figuring it out, right? Like I don't yeah, want people absolutely. to get it twisted. Like we are still a work in progress. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I still fuck still, up all the time. We're <laughs> all spiral over something and be like, I'll turn to my husband and be like, babe, look what happened. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He'll just shake his head. He's complete opposite of me. But um, speaking of relationships and marriage, how has therapy impacted your own marriage? Yeah. So um, I've been married for about five years now. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, <laughs> we, uh, it was our, our legal, we have two anniversaries because we, we got married at the courthouse on Trump's inauguration day. Um, Ooh, as just okay. kind of like a fuck you <laughs> since, since we're queer. I love um, it. And then, and then we had like our official like ceremony and celebration like months later. So, yeah. um, but um, yeah, we, you know, my wife and I, we, we both came to each other like later in life. We were both like in our mid to late thirties um, and we mm-hmm. both had never really been in a serious relationship before each other. Um, I was the kind of person where I just kind of felt like, um, I'm like a hardcore Capricorn. So like relationships, <laughs> like romantic relationships to me always felt like a waste of time. I'm like, I got too much shit to do <laughs> to be worried about all this emotional stuff. But, um, but yeah, no, we, we met about eight years ago and, um, we, she's, she's from the Philippines. And so, um, Mm. the way that we both grew up is very, very similar. So immediately Mm -hmm. we bonded over just like our growing up experiences and we actually are on the same page, like probably about 95% of the time. Um, Yeah. However, the other five percent <laughs> when we're not There's on the always same page, some small percentage on the side. It got you is, like creeping up. <laughs> yes, it is explosive when we are not on the same page. So it's either going really well or really badly. Oh, so no. um, I, I think you know, I when I when I had that episode where I was triggered, um, and then I went to go see a therapist. That was like about maybe a year. Um, before maybe not, not quite a year, maybe about six months before we met. Um, Mm -hmm. and I honestly attribute a lot of our success as a couple to what I was learning in therapy at the time. And so Mm. just learning how to better establish boundaries, learning how to better not take responsibility for other people and um and you know and in our relationship you know we like you said we don't always get it right you know (laughs) we don't always do the mature thing like sometimes it's just like well fuck you you know (laughs) petty as fuck i am petty i'm petty as hell and my husband will like he would definitely win that fight right like he will tell you all the things that i'm petty about because I mean, I think that's just relationships in general, right? Yeah, so I think yeah. marriage specifically, when y'all oh, all up in each other's... Yes, it brings out the worst in you. <laughs> I've never been does. so petty until in my marriage. <laughs> yes. Likewise. I'm like, well, I'm yeah. just going to cook dinner for myself then. You make your own fucking food. <laughs> so but um yeah it's it's definitely been a journey and we actually started seeing a couple therapists um about a year ago just because we were just like you know like it's not that our relationship was in trouble by any means whatsoever yeah but we knew that there were just like communication things right that we needed to Mm -hmm. work on that we weren't perfect at and you know, we had started talking about possibly starting a family. Like we've always just kind of had the both of us separately and now together, just kind of like a nomadic 
kind of lifestyle. Like we just mm-hmm. refuse to settle down anywhere. <laughs> and so we're just like <laughs> constantly moving. And so we're just like, okay, if we start a family, that means we should probably settle down for at least, you know, five years, you know, somewhere. Yeah. So we're like, if we're going to do all that, if we're going to make all those major life decisions, like we want to be in the best possible place mentally to be able to, to do that and to do it yeah. um, in a healthy way. And so we started seeing a couple's therapists um, and it's, it's been really, really helpful to just have like a third person to just kind of come in and, you know, either mediate the conflicts that we do have mm-hmm. or point out conflicts that we do have that we don't necessarily, or we aren't necessarily aware of, you know? And so um, it really helps to just have, have that other person in the room with us um, once a month or twice a month to just kind of talk through things. Yeah. And who's not petty. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and who can be like, you know what? You're being Clever. really petty right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, um, you know, full disclosure, I think I've said this before is that my husband and I have also been, you know, in therapy together. I think it's literally one of the best decisions that we've ever made as, mm-hmm. as a unit, just because, I mean, we had already had my son at the time, but I, I, did not have necessarily like the best example on how to communicate effectively in a marriage, in a household and what that looked like. Right. I had an idea, right. Of what I wanted certain things to not be. And to, you know, the things that we did want to do, Yeah, but it's a whole nother story when you're actually living in it. Right. Yeah. You've got all the emotions tied up. You're handling someone else's emotions and trying to be careful and, Hey, also you have little people looking at you, right? For to be the example. And so I think it was so beneficial for us to like literally just get on the same page communication wise. And the other thing is like we are going through seasons of life together. Like we're literally growing up together in very specific ways. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're growing the same way, right? Mm-hmm. And how, how do we like talk to each other and like still like each other at the end of the day? And yeah. that's hard that's hard and you don't always have the answers. And I think it's perfectly okay, you know, to be like, Hey, we could use some help in this area or this is going really well. I want to continue doing Mm -hmm. really well in this area. Mm -hmm. Let's go chat with somebody or let's practice X, Y, Z. You know, I just like, I, like, I don't, I don't know. I I just don't think that in our families we ever truly had like a good model. Like, yeah, that good model. Cause yeah. But I tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the one thing no one ever really tells you about marriage is that you might love your partner for like ever and ever, but you don't always yeah. like your partner. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like there are times where you're just like, I just really don't like you right now. Like yes. or annoying the shit out of me <laughs> or, you know, you said this thing or you did this thing and maybe it was yeah. intentional. Maybe it wasn't intentional, but you know, and so it's like, there's a lot of ups and downs and like, love like those feelings of love like that doesn't sustain a marriage that doesn't sustain Mm -hmm. any relationship it takes it takes intentional work it takes um a lot of personal development it takes a lot Mm -hmm. of learning how to communicate um and learning how to compromise and it's it's hard to do that unless you have someone to like walk you through it like a therapist right or a coach right and so um, it's absolutely essential. Yeah, that's, oh my gosh, yes. Because the other thing that people don't talk about a lot is what is love really? And what does mm-hmm. it mean to me? Because uh, 
because I didn't have healthy, like the healthiest example, I would look to, okay, what, what am I seeing on TV? What are Mm. some of the stories that I've seen? What are some of the things that like, you know, in a fantasy, this is what love would look like. And I legitimately had those ideas stuck in my head thinking that that's what I needed to achieve. Right. Like jokes on me. That bullshit, (laughs) that is not reality. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like instead of bringing me flowers every day, you know, you could, you could, wash the dishes after I cook dinner every day mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you could rub my feet because I've been on my feet all day or you can take the baby because that baby's driving me crazy and I just need five seconds of silence right like, yeah that to me is love right like mm-hmm. my person is fulfilling my needs in very specific ways and also pushing me to grow because while my husband is complete opposite of me he's also like he'll he'll tell me about myself in like the very right moments when mm. he's like you need to grow like right here and I'm mm. like mm, I guess I guess you're right <laughs> <laughs> you know so but I, all that to say is that like I like the examples that I was using for what love is and what marriage and a partnership should look like were completely wrong and therapy completely changed that for me like individually and couples counseling so everyone out there like it is okay for you to go see a counselor with your partner like yeah (laughs) yeah 100 100 yeah um all right so i'm gonna switch gears a little bit here to what you actually do for your day job and your work um when did you decide you wanted to be a coach and specifically we're you know excuse me we've had this conversation about bipoc and lgbtq plus and historically marginalized communities how did you know that that was your target area and that you needed to be a coach that you needed to serve them in this way yeah so i kind of came into coaching a little bit by accident um i (laughs) (laughs) i um, (laughs) i used to work at um at a church um years ago um this is way before i met my wife way before i came out um, and I, part of what I did at the church was like, um, managing volunteers, um, working with leaders in the organization. Um, and through that experience, I just like became like, first I was like a small group leader. Then I became a small group coach. Then I became a coach of small group coaches. Right. So like, mm-hmm. then I was like building out leadership curriculum for like young professionals and like volunteers and leaders in the church and, you know, helping with facilitation of retreats and things like that. And so it's just something that community ladder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just something that like, I just was good at and just, just continue to progress down that road. And so this was like early 2000s. I mean, I guess technically it's still early 2000s, but because, um, you know, heard it that way before. <laughs> what is time? But, um, <laughs> right, right. But this was like, you know, like 2002 to about 2012. Um, so during that 10 year period, that's, that's what I was doing. And then yeah. when I left the church and, um, and I decided to go back to college um, I finished my bachelor's and then I did grad school because I was like, well, that's, I didn't know what else to do. So I was like, grad school seems like the most obvious choice. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, towards the end of grad school, uh, towards the end of getting my master's, I was like, 
wait, what am I going to do after this? <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't, I don't necessarily want to get a PhD. Um, by that point, I was, I was tired of school. I was tired of Mother academia. Exhausting. <laughs> yes, yes. I was so tired of academia. I was like, this is not it. And you know, it was just, it, it didn't feel like a place that was meant to support a student like myself. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I definitely don't want to get a PhD or be a professor or any of that. Um, although I did enjoy teaching. Um, and so I was like, what, what could I do? Like, what would I want to do? And it sounds really cliche, you know, like, what would you do if, if, you know, if money were no option, right? If, yeah. like, what would you do that you enjoy so much that you do it for free? And so, uh, the thing that I came back to was coaching. I was just like, mm. I just really enjoyed that part of my experience when I worked at the church. Um, I was still like kind of doing it like here and there for like <laughs> people that I knew for friends. Right. And so I was like, okay, let me look into what it would look like to, to do this like as an actual, like legit profession. And so yeah. I, um, <clears throat> I signed up for some training And I just started reaching out to my networks to just kind of, you know, get some just like pro bono clients just to get some experience and see, you know, what the process entails um, and see if it was something that I was really, really serious about it. And during the training um, or as I was researching training and during the training, one of the things that I realized is that there aren't a lot of queer non-white coaches (laughs) Mm. And so they're either super heteronormative um, or super white. And not that there's anything wrong with people who fit into those demographics at all. But just from my own personal experience, I realized that like I even going through the training and, you know, networking with other coaches, I still really felt like an outsider. And Mm. I didn't really feel like there was a place for me where I belonged. And it felt very reminiscent of trying to navigate workplace culture of trying to figure Mm. out just life stuff. Like what we were talking about earlier, right? Like how do you figure out like what it is that you actually need as a human being who has been historically marginalized, who is maybe not straight, who has not had any kind of guidance from like family or, you know, or maybe even friends because your family was too busy working three jobs trying to put food on the table because they have been historically marginalized. Right. So, um, and just feeling all of those feels, I was like, you know, I want to work specifically with people who look like me, people who have had similar experiences than, you know, to, to what I've had, because Mm -hmm. I want to be the person for someone else that I wish I had when I was trying to figure shit out and just basically doing trial and error (laughs) until something clicked. Right. And so, um, so that's how I, I, I came to that. And it's not that I don't necessarily work with people who might be straight or who might be white. Like I I definitely have clients that fit into those demographics, but my primary goal, right. My primary target audience, you know, for lack of a better word is, um, is, uh, is folks who have, who have been historically marginalized because of their race, because of their gender, because of their sexuality. Um, 
there's just, there's a need there. Um, and I want to yeah. be able to, to support my communities in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's really important to identify that we need us everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like not just in healthcare, not just in therapy services, not just in the workplace, but everywhere that we seek services. I think it's really important. And you touched on this is like, you have a very specific expertise in your experience that you can offer that on to someone else who may not be there yet. Yeah. Right. Like the, the guidance and the coaching that you provide to your clients, like I can never match that because I don't have your experiences or I don't have some of your identities. Right. Like I think it's really important for people to understand, like, it's not a handout. It's not being biased towards our own communities. It's literally being what our communities need, mm-hmm. right? Like Absolutely. you saw a gap, you saw a need and you said, you know what? I have the skills. I have the passion for this. I'm going to step into this gap in this need and fulfill this for my community. I think people really like have that misconception sometimes where we're like, oh my God, they're trying to take all of our positions and blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, that's not the case. You have had your mentors, your Mm -hmm. teachers, your providers all look like you and sound like you and come from the same places as you. So no wonder you have made it to the places that you have Mm -hmm. made it to. But our communities have not had that benefit. Right. And we're literally only trying to get ourselves in the places where we are giving our community the same opportunities that we wish we had. Yeah. Right. Like we're literally just trying to get on the same plane. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. You know, and it's it's the same. It, I mean, when I was when I was seeing a therapist more consistently, like the first therapist I had, she was a woman of color and she was queer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we like really connected mm-hmm. and why I was able to see a lot of my own progress, like see that through because I was able to yeah. work with someone who could relate to the kind of experiences that I've had. And, you know, she, unfortunately she moved away. So after like a year and a half, I was looking for, you know, another therapist and it was, I will say I sat down with like a couple of therapists who were white women. And while it wasn't awful, it also wasn't great. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It just, I didn't really feel like they could support me in the way that I felt like I needed at the time because they, they couldn't speak to the experience of being an Afro-Latina in the South. Right. Yeah. They couldn't mm-hmm. speak to the experience of, being a queer person in a Hispanic household where that was like not the thing to to Mm -hmm. be. Right. So it just, it, it just kind of stunted my progress a little bit. And I I think it was at that point where I was just like, okay, I'm just going to take a break from therapy and, you know, focus on the tools and the resources that my first therapist gave me and just continue my own education And then I'll come back to it, you know, a little bit more consistently because I just, it's hard to find someone that you're really, really compatible with. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the thing is like practitioners who do look like us, right. Whether it's a coach or a therapist, like, because they're so needed, like they're all booked up. So it's hard to get one. Right. So it's like, we need more people in these spaces who are the experts in order to fill that gap in those, in, in our communities um, yeah. and to just co- kind of provide the the level of service that's needed. Yeah, absolutely. And not to mention like those of us who are in the fields are 
like small numbers, but also like we've got to think about like, I think we've touched on this a little bit, like culturally relevant and culturally informed, mm-hmm. right? Like just because you find a queer yes. therapist or just because you find a BIPOC therapist does not necessarily mean that they can relate to your specific experience. Like you still got to ask the questions. You still got to mm-hmm. figure out that it's the right match, right? Like mm-hmm. there's so many nuances that goes into like finding the right person yeah, um, and even support system just in general, right? Like just yeah. because you found a brown friend does not mean yeah. that brown friend is going <laughs> to Skin folk and kin folk. That's what they hey, say. There you go. <laughs> you still gotta ask the questions, but you're absolutely right. Like it is insanity the amount of like wait lists that there are on like therapy for mm-hmm. black girls or like Latinx therapy, like all these, you know, directories that are out there, you know, Asians for Mental Health all have these directories, but they're either booked. They don't take our insurance because the health system is rigged. Mm. Um, <laughs> and there's so many other factors, right? Yeah. Um, so to your point, like we, there's, we need more. We need more people to really be understanding and we need more people to step up and, and be there for our community. So I say that all to say that, you know, I really appreciate you standing in that space and like recognizing that because not everyone has the ability to do so, number one, but also not everyone like has the emotional capacity or, or mm. be able to take that on because it's heavy, right? Like when we're serving yeah. our communities, we understand that it's also heavy because we identify with such community. Mm-hmm. And you almost feel like, at least me and my work, like I always feel like I got to change like my entire community and make all this difference and all this <laughs> yeah. other stuff. I'm like, hold up. I am one person, one speck on this map. Like I cannot change the world. I can just do what I can in this particular space, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm So I want to go into just a little bit on what the listeners can walk away with. What are some of the practical tools? And we've touched a little bit on some of these things is like, what are some of the practical tools that you can walk our listeners through to navigate imposter syndrome and some of these oppressive systems we've talked about and taking care of themselves? Yeah. Um, I love this question um, for a variety of reasons, but one of the reasons that I love it is because when we're talking about things like imposter syndrome, and first of all, like, I just want to clarify, like, is it imposter syndrome or is it just like systemic oppression? (laughs) Like, you know, like every time I have a client who's like, or a potential client who's like, yeah, I just, I really want to work with a coach because I'm feeling a lot of imposter syndrome. And I'm like, okay, let's back up. What's really going on? Like you are operating within a system that was not designed with your success in mind. So mm-hmm. yes, 100%, you're going to feel like an imposter in that system, in within that structure, because it it's not for you, right? And so so the mm-hmm. question then becomes, how do we navigate those systems? Not how do we deal with imposter syndrome, right? Not yes. how do we deal with that sense of just like not belonging or not fitting in. And so the, the best advice that I always give clients is like, there's, when it comes to just like life and work, there's bullshit in everything, everything. Mm-hmm. Like there is no 100% (laughs) perfect scenario, you know, like people who Mm -hmm. say, oh, you just got to follow your passion or, you know, what's your purpose or things like that. Like, sure, those things are helpful, but 
no job is going to be perfect all the time. No relationship is going to be perfect all the time. And what it really boils down to is as individuals, us deciding, okay, how much bullshit am I willing to put up with? Mm. And once you have those margins, then you can make better informed decisions about what kinds of structures you're willing to operate within. And so what that looks like could be, you know, um, really clarifying your core values. Right. And so if one of your, like if in your top three core values, it's like, I want to make money. Like if you're super motivated by money, right. Then by all means, you know, go work at Facebook, go work at Google, Mm -hmm. you know, like go work at those big tech companies or go work for an organization. That's going to make you lots of money because the bullshit's going to feel like it's worth it to you because you're operating within that core value. Right. But if your core value, like if you're not money motivated in your core values and you're more motivated by, you know, justice, right, then working at a big company like that or working at an organization that's going to make you a lot of money, but it's going to feel really unjust, like that's going to be really taxing on your soul. And so, and I want to clarify that, like, it's not wrong to be money motivated, right? Right. Like the Mm -hmm. whole point of identifying your core values is so that you can operate in your strengths. You can operate within those things. So that way you design a life that feels good to you, not feels good to your employer or not feels good yeah. to your family. And so and you may have different stages in which you have different absolutely. values, right? Like you might be money motivated for five years because you got to pay these student loans, right? Like right. there's, there's different <laughs> right. time. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, you know, once you get out of debt, once you do your thing, then you're like, okay, maybe money is not, not the, the top value right now. Maybe money makes its way down to value number seven, right? And yeah. the top three values are something else. And so, Um, The other thing that I always coach my clients through is like, how do we facilitate joy and pleasure into our lives? Yes. Because like, first of all, the fuckery is heavy, like we have talked about. (laughs) And so there is enough sorrow and grief in the world without us having to sit in it 100% all the time. So when you are able to one, identify that like this system or structure that I'm operating in. One, it's not designed with my success in mind. So let me get clear on my core values so that way I can better make better decisions about the types of systems and roles that maybe I want to operate in. Then you have the capacity, you have the space for the expansion of joy and pleasure in your life. But if you're just Mm -hmm. like striving all the time to just quote unquote, navigate imposter syndrome, like there's no, there's no space for joy. There's no space for pleasure. And so one of my um, favorite authors that, um, that I read all her books and follow her religiously, um, Adrienne Marie Brown, she actually has a book on pleasure activism, right? And it's all about how part of our resistance is about owning our pleasure. It is about owning our joy. And we can't always be just fighting, fighting, fighting. We also have to be just like sitting in pleasure and joy because that is what's going to sustain us long-term. Right. And so, um, so she, her, a lot of her work, um, I, I bring it into, into my coaching practice um, when I'm working with clients, cause it's just, it's such a missing component 
of of mm. how we have been taught to navigate the world um, yeah. because of patriarchy, because of capitalism, because of, mm. you know, heterosexuality, like just so many things that have focused on like, you got to hustle, you got to grind 24 seven, the whole boss babe thing. It's like, oh my God, please. I'm going like, to yeah. just like throw up in my mouth if I hear another person say you got to like grind 24 seven. And so it's like, when do we rest? When do we just yeah. enjoy life? Like, mm-hmm. when do we, you know, enjoy our bodies? When do we enjoy our relationships? And so yeah. the more we can create space for that, the less the bullshit matters. Yes, yes. And I got to tell everybody who's listening, like, she's not just talking about it. She be about it. Because when I sent her an email, she said, I'm not her auto reply says something to the to the nature of I'm not going to give in to hustle culture. So I'll respond to your email. <laughs> when I respond to it, I'm not going to respond right away. (laughs) Every time I read it, I'm just like, yes, queen. Yes. (laughs) Let me tell you that I get the most feedback on that auto responder. Like every time it goes out and I'm like in the midst of just like building a relationship, the response is always like, Oh my God, I love this. Can I steal it? And I'm like, go for it. It is not mine. I stole it from somebody else. Like do what you need to do to set your boundaries. (laughs) it's so good but it it really does support that like you are about it you are doing this work and god damn it i just wish we were all basking in some some of that joy and really feeding into ourselves because you're right this other stuff that we have going on and that we got to carry is way too heavy for us to not take a break every now and then so Mm -hmm. please y'all take care of yourselves absolutely i know that it's not you it's not you i mean you might have some things that you got to work on but it is not you as a whole Right. Like right. There are it's not just you against us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's systems that are working against us that are not meant for us. Um, Diana, as we wrap up, can you let us know like where people can connect with you and follow your work? Yeah. So um, people can connect with me on either LinkedIn or Instagram. Um, that's where I'm just like really present. I got a TikTok a few months ago, but I'm like barely <laughs> on it. I'm just like, maybe I am a geriatric millennial. I don't know. Cause I just Look, forget about TikToks. You are not alone. I use TikTok to scroll, but when it comes to making content for TikTok, mm, I got like two I, videos up as we're recording I, this. <laughs> I can't like, I don't know. I have just like this mental block against it or something. Yes. But um, <laughs> but we were those same people who were trying to write code for MySpace like yes. 15 years ago. Yes. Yeah. It, <laughs> all all my capacity over. went there. So I have none left for TikTok. But um, so yeah. my time has left. My time have left the building. We are mm-hmm. on IG. So if you want geriatric <laughs> yes. millennials, find us on IG. Yes, IG or LinkedIn with all the <laughs> other old folks. But um, yeah, LinkedIn and, and Instagram is, is where they can find me. And it's just at Taina M. Brown. That's M for, um, for Marie. Um, it's my middle name. Awesome. So um, so yeah, I'm more than happy to, to connect with anyone. And um, yeah. Awesome. Diana, I just thank you. I really am so glad that you are in my circle now and that we can call on each other whenever we need to. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Uplift each other. Thank you for being here, for sharing your story, for being open. Right. Like, I know this is not everybody's jam. So I appreciate you coming to the mic today and just spending some time with us. Yeah. Thank you for holding the space. It's so it's so needed. I enjoyed our conversation for sure.
Thank you. Wonderful. Well, everyone, that has been another episode of Sesong y Corazon. Please find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Like, share, follow, share with your friends, have the conversation, and we'll see you on the next one. Have a good one, Al.